Let's pray together. Father God, as we've lifted our voices to you, it's our prayer that you've heard our, our praises and that they've brought you joy. Lord, we also believe that you speak to us, that you do it in your word, and that you'll do that today. You'll make your word alive by your spirit as we gather here. Lord, we pray that you would do that. Lord, you speak, but help us also to hear, to listen, and to obey. Amen. We've been thinking a couple of times in recent Sundays about the topic of time and particularly how a disciple of Jesus Christ would, would live uh, with the, the same time constraints that any other person has, 24 hours, uh, 7 days a week. How, how do we live well with our time? When I introduced that series a few weeks ago, I promised that we would look at two uh, very particular aspects of how we use our time. How we would use our time to rest, and we looked at that last week, and then this, this Sunday we're going to look at how we, we use our time to work. Last week, whenever we, we looked at this idea of time to rest, we realized that, that contrary to, to public opinion, and contrary to how most of our lives are experienced most of the time, there is time to rest, because God has given us a, a Sabbath, a, a day not to work, but to, a day to enjoy him and to enjoy each other. So this morning, as I said, we're going to think about work. And I chose to think about rest before work. It, it's almost counterintuitive. You'd almost choose to do it the other way around. But I chose to do it in this order because of something that I've learned recently from Jewish culture, the culture in which the, the biblical commands about work and rest were first given. So the Jewish day begins at sundown. So the very first thing that happens in any given day is that you rest. You've been running around frantically, you've been doing all that you need to do, but, but the day starts, it begins with your rest and your sleep. So whether we like it or not, for a few hours at least, we hand over control, we hand over the reins to God, he looks after things. The world keeps turning. God's purposes keep being worked out. And all the while we're snoring. Each day begins with a mini Sabbath. Isn't that great? So whenever the alarm goes at 7 o'clock or at 6 o'clock or at 8 o'clock. The day is not beginning. The day is well underway. We don't need to do anything in particular to get the day started. Our role instead is to join in. To join in with God who's already been working. God who's already been maintaining and sustaining this world that he's created. And I think folks when you begin to see the world in that very different way for us. Things can begin to change in our perspective. We can begin to put our work and our rest in a context where God is at the center and at the front. Welcome to the upside down world of God's grace. 
Folks, this morning we're going to think together about work, how I can get away with talking about work for 20 or 25 minutes. Uh, Well, I know it's not going to work. There are going to be a lot of gaps left, and those gaps might be more glaring to you than, than the things that I do include. I hope that what we spend our time thinking about this morning will help in some small way. The Bible commends hard work. So in Proverbs 6, we're invited to have a look at the ant. Go to the ant, you sluggard. There's a great word that we don't use enough. Sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food in harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. We thought last week about the biblical command to rest, and my guess is it probably felt very extravagant to a lot of us. I couldn't do that. I couldn't set aside a whole day when I don't do anything productive, when I really rest in God. Well, the Bible never commands laziness, and it's important that we see the counterbalance here today. God's people are to be energetic and hardworking. So in Matthew 25, the famous story of the servants given the talents, the king judges them based on how they use the, the time, the opportunity that's been given to them. So the men who work hard and put the money to good use, they're rewarded. The third servant He's judged, and he's judged because he's been wicked and lazy. So our aim in life is is to hear what the king said at the end to his, his good servants. Well done, good and faithful servant. Folks, I thought we'd spend a few moments today thinking about how we could use our time to do the work that God calls us to, that we might hear his well done good and faithful servant. In his book, The Busy Christian's Guide to Busyness, Tim Chester suggests the following three steps to help us to do the work that God has for us. Use your time efficiently, sort out your priorities, and glorify God all the time. First thing, then, is to use our time efficiently. Now, you might think that that goes without saying. But actually, I think we live in a culture where it probably needs to be said once more. It needs to be said, I say, because of this society that we live in. Because in our culture, it's quite possible to have a conversation something like this. How's it going? Not bad. How's yourself? Oh, ugh. I'm up to my eyes. We're busy with the kids at home. Work's really busy. Um, You know, I just never seem to get a moment of myself. Never get a chance to stop. By the way, did you see that last episode of Lost this week? I thought it was brilliant. Couldn't believe the way it ended. I'm gutted that it's finished, but, but there's a new series of brothers and sisters starting this week. I love it. And it was really hard going while it was off air. But it's back. Now, I really love those American shows, but I don't like to give up on the the old British standards, you know, the old faithful. I like my EastEnders, I like my Emmerdale, and I just love relocation, relocation. 
Have you ever noticed that that guy, Phil, he looks a lot like that Presbyterian minister in Ballyhackamore? <laughs> Sorry, somebody told me that a few weeks ago and I had to watch relocation, relocation to find out what they were talking about. So how are you doing? Up and up to my eyes. I'm so busy. Folks, the first step to making more efficient use of our time is just a grain of honesty. Just a wee look at what we're actually doing in these very busy lives that we all live. Maybe some of you took the chance to use the, the time grid that we made available in church a few weeks ago where you filled in sort of hour by hour what you'd done in a particular week. I wonder how that experience was for you. I wonder what it flagged up and, and what you saw um, about, about your life and how you actually live it. Now, depending on the stage that we're at with our, our careers and with our family responsibilities, we have hugely varying amounts of discretionary time. I want to name that before I say anything. Some of us have quite a bit of time that we have control over. We have quite a lot of choice in how we use our time. Some of us have very, very little. It boils down to an hour or two per week that we have any choice over how we spend our time. But folks, what I want to say this morning is that it's a matter of Christian discipleship how we spend our discretionary time. The psalmist teaches us to number our days aright that we might gain a heart of wisdom. Think about how you spend your time. In past generations, and I think I remember hearing this kind of language, Christians talked about needing to give an account to God for their time. There was something about that that I might want to be slightly wary about, but there's something very positive about taking seriously these minutes and hours and days and months and years that God gives us. Folks, you might think that I overstated things a wee bit in that, um, that conversation. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I overstated it too drastically. There's a statistic I looked up as I was preparing for this. The average hours of television viewing in the United Kingdom were top of the league for the whole world with the United States, 28 hours per week. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting that, that you or I are watching Twitter, but that's the culture we live in. That's busy Britain. 28 hours a week of television. Folks, I haven't mentioned gaming, our Wii's or DS's or Xbox's. I haven't mentioned surfing the internet, how time just seems to evaporate when you go on to surf one thing and end up in all other places. Friends, if we're going to make any progress in thinking about how we use our time in a way that honors and gives glory to God, then we need to be honest about how we're using our time and then begin to look at what changes God might be calling us to. I've already mentioned the fact that, that some of our time doesn't feel very discretionary. It feels like we, we have hardly a moment to make any choices ourselves. Well, even then, we might consider some ways of, of streamlining uh, the, the ways in which we spend our time. In, in the discipleship groups, the guys got a chance to look at some material from the Tear Fund Church Community and Change Manual. And they made suggestions there about how to, to save a little bit of time. So, for example, cook twice as much uh, as you need for a meal 
so that you can freeze the other and use it for a quick meal some other evening. We can listen to a football match on the radio uh, while we're doing something else, multitask a little bit, rather than giving two hours to the remote control on the sofa. Um, if you're spending 10 hours in a week, 10 hours a week in the gym to stay fit, um, staying fit's a good thing, but maybe 10 hours a week's a bit indulgent with your time. Uh, what about scrapping the gym membership for a year, buy yourself a bike and commute to work, uh, save a bit of time, a lot of money, and live in a, in a less indulgent way with your time. Folks, we're busy. I, I don't deny that. I feel busy. But I'm not sure I can stand over how I use every hour of my time either. Um, and I've been challenged about that as I've prepared for this series, as I've filled in my time grid. Uh, and I wonder if that's a challenge that God's bringing to you these days as well. Folks, we're never going to end our indulgent use of time until we find a greater purpose for our lives. Until we find something greater than the, the remote control to live for. If we're going to do the work that God has for us, then we're going to need to sort out our priorities. And that's my second point. I want to point you to a, a very uh, esoteric, at first, Old Testament passage, but one that's really challenged my thinking in this whole area. Please turn with me, because you'll be interested to see it. Deuteronomy chapter 24, on page 202. Deuteronomy 24, page 202. It's a chapter with all sorts of different commands, so it hardly even has a context, this particular command. But let me, let me read it with you, beginning to read it, verse 19. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Skipping down a fraction. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the grapes again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. You're, you're wondering what any of this has to do with what I'm talking about this morning and your use of your time. Bear with me for a second. <clears throat> Consider what's going on here. There's a, a farmer doing what we all do in our work. He's trying to make a living. And normally we understand the goal of our work to maximize uh, our wealth. So naturally enough, this guy's going to want to gather every last stalk of grain. He's going to want every last olive from his tree, every last grape from his vine. But then God comes in the scene and says, no. There's a different way to live. God commands this farmer to set aside the absolute priority of maximizing wealth for a different priority. Rather than using your resource, your land, to make as much money as you possibly can, God commands him to ensure that he uses some of his resources to bless others. Now what's this got to do with us? We're not farmers, at least not most of us. We have no land to, to let the poor come and glean on. That's quite true. We live in a, in a post-industrial age. 
The resource that we use, the vast majority of us, to make a living nowadays is what? It's not our land. It's our time. If we're self-employed, we use our time to generate income and to make a living for ourselves. If we're employed, we sell our time to the employer and then earn a living in that way. Do you see now how this Old Testament command becomes very interesting for for non-agricultural people like us? I think it gives us an insight into the heart of God. It shows us what God thinks about our time and how we use it. Rather than using this resource that we have, our time, to make as much money as we can, to maximize our standard of living, God commands us to ensure that we keep some of this resource that we can use in a more generous way to to benefit those who need our help. Folks, if I built all of that on one Bible passage like this, I think it would would seem a pretty flimsy argument. If you're writing notes and are interested, you'll see the same command repeated in Leviticus 19. You'll see it repeated in Leviticus chapter 23. This principle is right at the heart of the very famous story of Ruth. Boaz, who's the hero of that story, he shows himself to be a faithful man of God because he does this. Because he obeys this command. When Ruth the Moabites foreigner comes. And she needs a place to glean. A place where there would be something left for her. She finds it in the field of Boaz. And he not only obeys this command. He commands his workers. Make sure there's more left for her. Make sure that she is well looked after. Boaz has chosen To live a life beyond one of wealth maximization and uh, increasing his standard of living. He's chosen to be inefficient with his resources so that he can bless others. He's living out the values of the kingdom of God. Folks, if we choose to live a life that's only about earning as much money as we can... So that we can live the greatest lifestyle we can afford. Then I think we miss out on God's best for our lives. I think that's the plain teaching of scripture at this point. And that raises big questions for us. I think it raises questions individually. But also as households. Because as households we make these decisions collectively. For each household there's a question. How much of our time will we give to paid employment that raises our money and our standard of living? And how much of our time will we keep back to waste on the poor, the the children and the old and those who can't pay us for what we do? What are our priorities going to be? To be as wealthy and as affluent as possible? Or will we learn to walk in the ways of Jesus And waste our time with needy people who can't give us anything. We're thinking today about how we might use our time to do the work that God has for us. 
We need to learn to use our time efficiently. We need to sort out our priorities. And thirdly, and very, very quickly, we need to learn that we can glorify God all the time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 31, Paul says, Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Folks, the, the biblical truth is that unless we're involved in something that's expressly immoral, we can, we can serve God in any aspect of our lives. We can do that in our workplaces, uh, at, in school, at home. We can serve God in our neighborhood, in our clubs, in the societies we belong to. And we can serve God in the church. So serving God isn't something extra that we fit in. It's a, it's a way of life. It's a frame of mind that we take to everything that we do. It's a conscious decision that I want to serve God in everything I do. I want to speak candidly for a moment from my perspective as a church leader. Any church where I lead will always be a church where we'll affirm the whole life ministry of God's people whether it's in their workplace, their neighborhood, wherever it is, we, we recognize here and affirm ministry beyond the church. We'll always do that here at, at Kirkpatrick Memorial. We'll understand as well that for some people on some occasions, those responsibilities they have outside of, of church will make it impossible for them to, to serve and to be involved in church life. I think there are, there are times when we'll understand that and accept that. But folks, I would urge each one of us to to act with integrity when we analyze our own lives and think about this. I can't, for example, say to myself, I don't have time for church activities because work is my main mission field or ministry. Unless I intentionally live that way. Unless I intentionally make sure that my, my workplace is a place where I'm going with a, a vision to serve God and to, to share Jesus Christ. <laughs> Folks, we must never use the truth that we can serve God anywhere to, to choose to serve God nowhere. That, that just has no integrity at all. Folks, we talk here often, and rightly so, about the church family Can I ask you then uh, just a a simple and a straight question? Can we be happy to be part of a family where some members are struggling under the weight of the responsibilities that they carry while others repeatedly refuse to take on responsibility when they're asked to consider it? Is that good? Is that a, a healthy way for a family to operate? Surely, folks, that's not the way of Christian discipleship. Surely no one has ever matured in Jesus Christ while they've chosen to live this kind of a way. Friends, I'm sensing, uh, and this, this very short series in time has probably raised more questions for me than it's answered. I think, I used to think that money was the big issue. I'm beginning to revise that. I wonder if time is equally important in in our thinking about Christian discipleship. I feel I have an awful lot to learn here. 
Our church has a lot to learn here, and by that I mean our leadership, people like me, but also the, the elders in Kirk Session. We need to learn to be wise in how we structure church life, how we use the time that you bring to this church family. We need to ensure that all the time that we spend together allows us to grow in our likeness to Jesus, allows us to to take radical steps of obedience to him. Simply running a nice church isn't going to cut it anymore. Folks, I've mentioned, I think as I introduced this series, a professor at college who used to say, show me your diary, show me your bank statement, and I'll tell you who you are. Well, we have thought for a few Sundays now about our diaries. I think our diaries do say a lot about who we are. They tell us what our values are. They tell us what gods we worship. My time is me and your time is you more than anything else in the world. What you do with your time is who you are. And so we finish our series with the words that, of Jesus that Gary read for us a little bit earlier. If anyone would come <laughs> after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life, or, or we could say his time, will lose it. But whoever loses his life, his time for my sake, will find it. Do you want to find life? Do you want to find real rest, the thing that we talked about last week? Then let's place our life and our time in Jesus' hands, the only one we can trust to to take that life and make something of it. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the gift of time. Thank you for the freedom that we experience, at least in in part of our day, to make choices about how to use that time. Lord, we pray that we would believe you, believe what you've revealed to us in your word, that we would enter into this rhythm of, of, of sacrificial work and service, but leisurely and joyful rest. Lord, help us to know both of these things. Help us to escape our culture at this point. Ours is a culture of death, of depression and despair, because we have lost what it is to work, work with a a, a real contentment that enough will be enough, and then to rest, taking the rest that you give us. Lord, help us to, to live this life that Jesus calls us to, to enter into the rest that he gives. Lord, we will need your help with this. But we know that you're quick to save. Come, we pray. Amen.